Well, it's really good to see um, Tyson and Brianne Skeenstra. It would it be okay? Could we have you stand and sh- and show off your bundle of love? Devin Nicole. Wow! Congratulations. Church growth through new births. It's an exciting thing. All the babies being born. Really, really exciting. Well, we spent, I think it was 22 weeks on the attributes of God. Last week, we took a little break and talked about grumbling and complaining. I've had some really cool conversations with people. So I kind of want to preach that message again, but I probably better not. We're going to move now into a a rather short series, uh, most likely for the next three weeks, on financial stewardship. And then we'll move back into the Gospel of John. And in order to introduce this series, I want to begin by uh, telling you something that most of you are are very well aware of. I I like words. Uh, Do any of you like words? I like to learn, learn the origin of words and, and, and the significance of those words. I remember when uh, my daughter Abby was uh, 9 or 10, we spent the better part of two years uh, learning Latin together and learned an awful lot of, of Latin words and how they, uh, how they uh, make an impact on our culture now. Well, let me give some examples of some words that I have learned and words that I, I think you're pretty, pretty aware of. The first word is the word autonomous. Autonomous. You can see it there. There are uh, two uh, words that make up the word autonomous. The first is that word auto. Um, it might surprise you to learn that that word means self. And then there's the Greek word nomos. Nomos, and it's the, the Greek word translated law. Well, when you put auto and nomos together, you get autonomous. And so if you ever hear me, it's one of my favorite words, talk about a person of autonomy or an autonomous man or an autonomous woman, that means that's a person who is a law unto themselves. That's something you don't want to be. You don't want to be an autonomous person. Look at another word, uh, a word that we're all very familiar with. It's the word automobile. Well, we've already learned that the word auto means self. Let's go for automobile, Nathan. We've learned, oop, we must be having a hard time with the software this morning. Can we go back one? Did automobile, that's not automobile. Well, use your imaginations. Automobile. Auto means self. What's the mobile mean? It's moving. And so when you, most of you came to church this morning in an automobile, that is self-moving. We call it a car. Then there is the word, as Nathan and I were in Bellingham the other day, and right around, not too far from Keith Cox's shop, we saw a a structure, and it had a word on it that I almost got in an accident because it's one of my favorite Greek words. It's the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. Tom's with me on that one. Well, ekklesia, did you know that you are the ekklesia? Some of you may think you have come to the ekklesia, but biblically speaking, you are the ekklesia. You are the church. Well, ek is the Greek preposition that means out. And this is a little bit hard, harder to decipher, but the, the Greek word kaleo is translated to call, to call. So you smash the words together, ek and kaleo, you get the word ekklesia, 
the church. And so while you think you may have come to church, biblically speaking, you are the church. If you were in Christ, you were the church. Well, enough of uh, a time for fun with words. Let's get to the essence of the message this morning. There's another word that I want to draw your attention to, and it's a word that we will spend time over the next few weeks laboring over and, and unpacking together. It's the word oikonomia. Oikonomia. The word oikonomia is probably a brand new one to you. And can we fast forward to that one, Nate? Oikonomia is comprised of two little Greek words. First is the word oikos. Oikos. Now, interestingly enough, my, my good friend Pete Williamson pastors a church in Bellingham called Oikos. And Oikos is the word that is translated as house. House, And so you could say that the church that my friend Pete pastors is the, the house church. Oikos is translated house. Uh, nomia is the Greek word that is translated to arrange. And I wish you could see this with me. But when you smash those two words together, you get the word oikonomia. It's a very important word that surfaces in Scripture. It means a person who arranges a house. And Oikonomia is the word that is typically translated in the New Testament as steward or stewardship. A person who arranges a house then is called a steward. A steward takes care of things. A steward organizes things. A a steward arranges things. This is a person who has responsibility to to look after the things that have been trusted to him or her for the glory of God. And so as I've already mentioned for the next few weeks, we're going to focus specifically on the topic of financial stewardship. Now, there are many areas that we could, we could uh, talk about when it comes to stewardship, but we're going to focus specifically on that area of financial stewardship. When my family moved to Legrand, when I typed this in, I, I had to, to, to do a double take. 16 years ago, as Doreen falls over on the pew, when we moved to Legrand over 16 years ago, we decided to have a house built. And so we, we found a contractor and we sat down with, with Mark and, and, and Mark uh, showed us some plans and we provided a down payment. And so Mark began to construct that house. Most of you that know anything about me that know this about me, I don't know anything about building. I don't know anything about mechanics. I don't know anything that involves using my hand. I mean, when I go to fill the gas in my car, I usually have to ask someone for help. I mean, I'm that bad. It's horrible. I'm kidding about that last one. (laughs) But when we had our house built, we learned about the importance of a foundation. And one thing I learned about a foundation is it's pretty boring. Dig a hole, pour in some cement, wait, wait, wait. And it's just, it doesn't look like much. And those of you who have had houses built know that that's the boring part, right? The foundation when the carpet goes in, when the cabinets go in, when the appliances go in, when the 142-inch big screen TV goes in. That's when it gets exciting, you know. But the foundation, that's, that's kind of the boring stuff. But I think we are all aware that without a foundation, without a foundation, the structure simply does not work. 
So in a similar way, much of what we will do today will be foundational. Lord willing, today will be a little bit shorter. I know I've said that before, and it usually does not come to pass. But I want today to be incredibly basic. I want today to be very simplistic as we talk about the importance of pouring the concrete for the foundation of financial stewardship. It was several months ago that the ministry action teams began to meet. And these teams are working up to the current day to toward the fulfillment of the mission of Christ Fellowship. And of course, our mission is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of those teams that began meeting several months ago is called the Finance Ministry Action Team. And we have met several times, and Keith Cox is the chair of that team. But two of the things that have taken up some of our time, one of them you've, you've heard about in recent weeks, and that is paying down the debt. And as you hear reports from the pulpit and as you read in the bulletin and talk to people around the church, you hear that week by week that debt is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so we've been working on paying down the debt. The second thing that we are working hard at is communicating the importance of giving. I'm referring to the giving of finances that is both consistent and sacrificial. Next week, as we continue this short series, you will hear some statistics that will absolutely shock you about uh, what researchers have learned about the status of giving in the local church. I want to begin this morning by making this statement that we live, and I don't think there will be any arguments here, we live in the most affluent country in all of the world. God has blessed us with many good gifts. Whenever I have a chance to go to another country, most notably the country of Poland or the Republic of Belarus, it doesn't take long to figure out that we are a very blessed nation. I remember the first time, the ladies will be interested in this, I went to Belarus. And as you look around and as you get to know people, you see the women are, are dressed very exquisitely. I mean, just, just, just to the T. To the they love to look good and very put together. And as I was talking to people about the culture of the Republic of Belarus, I learned something that was very interesting to me. One person, an American missionary, told me this, that what you have to understand is that most of the women in Belarus only have one or two outfits. And they just basically wear that outfit over and over and over again, and then they accessorize. Whether it's different earrings or different kinds of things, scarves and whatnot, is they just don't have a whole lot of money or a whole lot of resources. And so we live in, in by far, the most affluent nation in all of the world. As we begin this short study, I want to, to challenge you. And I'm already prepared because I, I think that from today as we move forward into the next few weeks, uh, these messages have the possibility to make you feel rather uncomfortable. And I, I think that's a good thing. I think it is good to be challenged. It is good to be convicted. It's good to be in a position where you're asking questions about your life. I trust you do that each week as we gather together. Today, I want to ask you this crucial question. What kind of a steward are you? Specifically, when we think about matters of finances, have you been taking good care of the gifts that God has graciously given to you? 
you might put the question this way. Are you using the gifts that God has given you to the glory of God? You see, when we commit ourselves to exercising biblical stewardship, several things happen. When we commit ourselves to exercising biblical stewardship, we, we fight against selfishness. When we are giving in the way that God calls us to give, we fight against selfishness. We also are extinguishing laziness. When we are committed to biblical stewardship, we extinguish laziness. Additionally, we wage war against misplaced priorities. I think it is a, a, just a fact that in the United States of America, many Americans, they just don't have their priorities right. Financially, the way they use their time, the way they uh, use their possessions, they struggle with that. And then finally, as we commit ourselves to exer- exercising biblical stewardship, we find ourselves battling worldliness. It's what the Germans, here's another word for you, the Germans call this the zeitgeist. And that just has a nice ring to it. You like that? The zeitgeist. That's, that is to say we are battling the spirit of the age when we commit ourselves to biblical stewardship. John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 2 said this, Do not love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I want to begin this morning by having you look with me at the meaning of stewardship. And again, we want to keep this simple. We want to look at the meaning, or you might put it this way, the nuts and the bolts of stewardship. We've already said that a steward is a a person, is a, a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, and kids are included in this discussion. I remember when I was probably about seven years old, my dad sat me down and he helped me understand what it meant to be a good steward. And as I began to receive money, um, small, small, small amounts of money, little odd jobs you would do, is my dad taught me from an early age what it meant to tithe 10% of the money that I received. And so for me, uh, it's, it's never been really an issue because I learned from the youngest of of ages, the importance of tithing. Well, a steward is a person who takes care of something. As I mentioned before, uh, when Doreen and I moved to Eastern Oregon, we learned rather quickly that people liked horses in Eastern Oregon. And so we developed friendships with several people who own horses. And I'll put it this way. While I have never owned a horse, and I will never own a horse... That's dogmatic. We will never own a horse. I know this about horses. They take time. They take money. They take resources. All the people who I have ever known who owned a horse, I know this about them. It, it takes an awful lot of time or energy. They need to be clean. They need to be fed. They need to be cared after. It's not like a dog. It's not like our dash hound. When we go to Seattle, we stick ginger in the kennel, and if she gets hungry, that's tough, right? (laughs) Please don't call PETA. (laughs) But with a horse, with a horse, there's so many more areas of responsibility. And so what is the role of a horse owner? The role of a horse owner is to be a good 
steward. You, you take care of that animal. And so stewardship refers to a person or even a group of people who manage something. I'll put it this way. Every person here, every boy, every girl, every man, every woman, every mom, every dad, every grandpa, every grandma, every aunt, every uncle is a steward. Every day, each of us take care of things. We manage our property. We manage our possessions. We manage our personal health. We are called to take care of ourselves But most notably, for the purpose of of this series, we are called to be good stewards of our finances. And while we are all stewards, some of us are, are exercising biblical stewardship. Others of us who are stewards are very sloppy. We're sloppy with our stewardship. But suffice it to say, each of us remain stewards. And so the question I want you to wrestle with, The question I want you to to struggle through, not only this morning, but for the next several weeks, is what kind of a steward am I? And each of us, I think, I would argue that each of us probably have areas where we can grow, where the Holy Spirit can encourage us or convict us in the area of financial stewardship. The next few weeks, you may be tempted as I mentioned earlier, to react. And one of the reasons pastors are so nervous about this issue, and I'm one of them, is they're afraid of how people are going to react. So you may be tempted to react to the challenge to give back to the Lord. Here's what I'm convinced of. This is not a matter of the pastor This is not even technically a matter of stewardship. It's actually a matter of my heart. And so when you're tempted to react to the the messages in the next few weeks, remember, this is my heart that is on the line. If you get defensive, remember that this matter of stewardship ultimately is a matter of my heart before the living God. You may be inclined to cling tightly Can any of you relate to that? You cling tightly to the gifts that God has given you. I'm not going to share this gift with anyone. You may be challenged in this area. I'll share a story in a few moments ago where as a young boy, I was clinging tightly to something and I held tightly to it for many, many years. And so my question is this. How will you allow the Holy Spirit, not me, how will you allow God, the Holy Spirit, to shape your perspective on giving. How will you allow the Holy Spirit to shape your affections? That is to say, how will you allow the Holy Spirit to shape the things you love? And as a result, what kinds of action steps will you begin to implement in your life? And so when I put it that way, when I put it positively, I'm actually, I have grown from being rather scared of preaching these messages to actually rather excited because financial stewardship is an extremely important matter in the word of God. Look next with me at the model of stewardship, the model of stewardship. I want to say up front that the model of stewardship, the idea of stewardship is actually a very biblical notion. And while it's true that Christians and non-Christians alike are all stewards, we all have non-Christian friends and non-Christian relatives People in the community that don't follow Jesus, they're stewards as well, aren't they? They are called to be stewards. However, what I want to address in this series together is specifically the idea of Christian stewardships. 
Christian stewardship, rather. Theologically, stewardship, as one has written, is the responsibility to manage all of the resources of life for the glory of God. Your non-believing friend or relative simply does not have the ability to be that kind of steward. I'll put it this way. Your non-Christian relative or friend may have a budget. They may take care of their boat or their car or their house. They may take care of their finances, and that's good and well. But we know this because of what the scriptures teach about the nature of the human heart. They're not doing it for the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, they may be stewards, but this does not fall under the category of Christian stewardship. Only a Christ follower can be a steward in this regard. The Bible says this, So whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Colossians 3.17 says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so turn your attention back to that, that word that I shared with you, oikonomia. Oikonomia means the manager of a household or a state. Well, I need to share with you by way of introduction that the word is translated in several ways in the New Testament, but basically carries the same meaning. The first word, the first way that we'll see stewardship defined in the New Testament is it may be translated as the word manager, manager. And so some of you have positions uh, in your in your jobs where you are managers. Some of you manage people, some of you manage money, some of you manage possessions, you might even manage time. But suffice it to say, the word manager is one of the important words that comes out of that Greek word oikonomia. Look with me at Luke chapter 12. I just want to do this short word study by way of introduction. And remember that I hope you don't consider this boring, but it is indeed part of the crucial process of laying the foundation where we will go in weeks to come. So Luke chapter 12, verse 42. See if you can find with me the word oikonomia. Luke chapter 12, verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise, do you see it? Manager. That comes from the Greek word oikonomia. The faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household, you see what he manages, to give them their portion of the food at the proper time. And so this oikonomia, this manager, has a responsibility to manage people, some possessions, and also the distribution of food. Now come with me to Luke chapter 16, verse 1. A few pages over to Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a what? A manager, oikonomia. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possession. So you see what this manager was set to manage. There's another word that comes from the word oikonomia, and I want to show it to you as you would turn with me to Romans chapter 16. Just a few pages over to Romans chapter 16, and look with me at verse 23. Romans 16, 23. 
The word oikonomia is not only translated as manager, you will also find it translated here as treasurer, as treasurer. Look at verse 23. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Aristus, the city, there's the word, treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. And so the word is translated as manager, as treasure, but it's also used, the, the word oikonomia is used in, in a broad way as well. It's used in a broad sense. And so look over to the book of 1 Corinthians, just a few pages to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Here we will see the word not translated as manager or treasurer, but actually translated as steward. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And so you see that preachers are stewards. You would say, what is the, what is the role of a, a pastor, preacher, teacher, elder? Well, the pastor, preacher, teacher, elder is given charge to steward in the household of faith. The pastor, preacher, teacher, elder is given charge to be a good steward of the word of God. We're to rightly divide the word of truth. We're to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, not just the parts that you like. And to resolve never to flee from the parts you don't like or are nervous to preach, like financial stewardship. And so elders are God's stewards as well. Titus 1.7 says, For an overseer as God's steward, that's oikonomios, must be above reproach. Turn to one additional passage in the book of 1 Peter near the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 4. This is one of the most broad texts in regard to New Testament stewardship. Very instructive. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 10. As each has received a gift, next week we will learn where those gifts derive from. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. That's oikonomia. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so you see here in, in vivid terms, in very stark terms, that the steward does all that he or she does for the glory of God. Now notice with me number three, the marks of stewardship. The marks of stewardship. There are at least four marks that I surfaced in my study of the Word of God, and i share a few of them with you. The first is that a God-centered steward is faithful. A God-centered steward is faithful. You see, a faithful Christian and sloppy stewardship, can you put those together? A faithful Christian and sloppy stewardship, that's like pouring oil into a glass of water. What happens when you put oil with water? It just, there's probably a more scientific way to say this. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So the notion of a faithful, 
New Testament disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ who's a sloppy steward, it doesn't add up. That's like jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp? What? That's like, how about military intelligence? Especially in, in, in our day in America. How about Baptist theologian? I'm just kidding. You see, the, the two just don't match. To be a, a faithful follower of Jesus, but to be a sloppy steward. To make a profession of faith, but to fail to give our tithes and offerings is a contradiction. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. I don't know about you, but when you read about God accusing someone of robbing from him, I don't ever want God to accuse me of robbing from him. But he says that's exactly what's happening in this passage. But you say, how have we robbed you? Answer, in your tithes and contributions. You see, God's stewards are to be calculated in their giving. That is to say, they look at their financial resources. A man and a woman will get together, a husband and a wife, or a, a, a single person or a child will sit down and say, this, this is how God has gifted me, and this is how God will gift me. And so I commit myself to setting aside a portion of my income out of submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. We set giving goals that are commensurate with our income. Additionally, faithful stewards are consistent in their giving. You hear stories, and as I've had a chance to, to study an awful lot in this area over the last few weeks, you hear stories about people who give in a, in a haphazard way, in a random way. It's one week here and another week there, and then they'll go for six months or 12 months or 18 months and not give anything. The charge I would encourage you to consider is faithful, consistent, and sacrificial giving. Number two, I want you to see that a God-centered steward is unselfish. You remember, you recall that I said you may feel a little bit uncomfortable. And feeling uncomfortable, I think, is a good thing. And to allow the Holy Spirit to do a good work of grace in all of our hearts. But a, good, uh, a God-centered steward is an unselfish person. He realizes, as we will learn next week, that every gift he has, every dollar in his pocket, every IRA, every, every retirement fund, every car, every boat, every possession, every bike, every computer, every book. I'm kind of talking about myself. Books, bikes, computers. Those all come from the hand of God. They belong to God, and he's given them to me to steward them. And we are called to, to be unselfish and not cling tightly to our possessions. To do that very thing is to dishonor God. I promised you I would share a story that did not make me look very good, but when I was about eight or nine years old, there were a missionary family that we were very close to, and they were on furlough and needing a place to stay. And my mom and dad knew that for a couple of weeks we'd be on vacation. And so they offered this family to stay in our home. And we all thought, I even thought as a little kid, that's really cool. We can help some missionaries because we're being, I didn't think of this at the time, but we're being good stewards by, by sharing of our resources that God has given us. Well, I had just received a speedometer. Now, for young people, you have to understand, it's not one of the slick digital ones that are wireless now. 
that don't even attach to your wheel, right? Like I have on my bike now. This is one of the ones that was about this big and it was about this thick. And it had, the cord must have been that thick. And it runs around, you attach it to your wheel. I mean, it looks like you're doing surgery or something. But man, in 1974, woo-wee. How many of you had one of those pedometers? I mean, they were cool. Yeah, some of you. Big deal, right? I, I, was, I was all that and then some in the neighborhood, right? Well, I had it a few weeks, and we went on vacation and let our friends stay at our house. When we got home, I went to ride my bike. You already know what it's going to, you know where this story is, where it's going. My, stedom, my speedometer was thrashed. That measly little missionary kid broke my prized possession, my speedometer. And you know, I wouldn't let that go for years. I... If I'm honest, I was probably in high school by the time I thought to myself, eh, who cares about the crazy thing? It's not that big of a deal. God gave it to me anyway. But I held on to it. I clung tightly to that speedometer. And I think many of us are like that way in the Christian life when it comes to our finances. And this is what I hear. It's my money. I'll do with my money what I want to do with my money. And my response, as we'll learn next week, is... It's not your money. It's not your house. It's not your boat. It's not your bike. It's not your computer. It's, it's God's. And he has gifted those things graciously to us and charged us to be good financial stewards. Number three, I want you to see that a God-centered steward gives generously and expects nothing in return. He or she gives generously and expects nothing in return. That is to say, there are no strings attached for a God-centered steward. I can't tell you how many times after pastoring for almost 25 years now that I've heard people say something like this when they don't get their way in the local church. I gave X amount of money and this is what I get. I served in Awana for 30 years, and this is the thanks I get. I put so much money in the offering plate, and this is the thanks I get. And you say to yourself, why was that person giving of his or her finances, time, talents, or treasures, if that's the response of their heart? I want you to see fourth that a God-centered steward has a passion to make God look great. And this, this is a tricky one because you might say to yourself, uh, you can't make God look any greater. He is the majestic one. There is no one greater than our sovereign king. But from our perspective, we have a passion as biblical stewards to make God look good in the community, to make God look good in the household of faith. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is a passage we have looked at before, but bears repeating really over and over again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, where Paul the Apostle, as he talks about the treasure in jars of clay, says this, For it is all for your sake. So that his grace extends to more and more people. That is, I like to say, on the horizontal. As, as you do good to your believing or unbelieving friend, as you share your financial gifts, as you share your time, as you share your talents, as you show the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
It is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, now look at the vertical, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And I think this is what we see here at Christ Fellowship. As you reach out to people, as you love people, as you serve people on the horizontal, what happens is on the vertical level, that causes people to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that act of kindness. And that makes God look exceedingly glorious, which, of course, we know he is. Number four, I want you to see with me the magnitude of stewardship. And have you, in closing, look at three very important realities. The first reality is that a sovereign God graciously dispenses treasures or finances to his people. And remember this, it it is God's prerogative to give the gifts to whomever he will. Have you ever said to yourself, why, why does that person get X, Y, Z? And I get nothing. Have you ever thought that way? Why does this person have a, a particular possession, a particular salary, and I get pennies? Well, God has the prerogative to give however he chooses to give. Secondly, God then entrusts, getting more specific, he entrusts finances to his people. When God gives financial resources, he entrusts those resources to you. I want you to think with me about that word that is in bold there, the word entrust. The word entrust means to assign the responsibility for doing something. I'll give an example. I think I was here, Doreen and I and our family got here over four years ago, and there was no one to put the sermon, post the sermon online. And I, I didn't know Tanya Scheib really from anyone. Doreen and I had met her and talked to her a few times, but I just walked up to her kind of cold turkey. I can talk about her. She's in China, right? And I said, Tanya, you seem like the kind of person that will really grab the bull by the horns. Am I right? Did I have her right? And she went, yep, that's me. I grabbed the bull by the horns. And I said, well, I'm looking for a person who would be willing to post the the sermon online every week. Would you be interested in doing that? Oh, no problem. I'll I'll do that, Pastor Dave. That was four years ago. That was, was, I was entrusting something to her. And you know what? I never had to think about it. I never worried about the sermon being posted online. She just did it. She took that job very seriously. I'm very grateful to her for that. To entrust, then, means to assign someone the responsibility for doing something or to put something into someone's care or protection. In 1 Corinthians 9, 17, we read, For I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Interesting. Ephesians 3, 1 and verse 2. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Wow, that's a heavy responsibility that the Apostle Paul had on his shoulders. And so the gracious gifts that we have received from God have been given from the sovereign hand of God. He has entrusted those gifts to us Here's our responsibility. We now, (coughs) excuse me, we have an obligation to be good stewards of the gifts that we receive from God. And this morning, I want you to, I want you to sense the weightiness 
of this responsibility. It really is a, an absolutely mammoth responsibility. It's a responsibility that, as followers of Jesus, we should never take lightly. Unfortunately, as we'll discover next week, many professing Christians squander their chances to be good stewards. They become lazy and selfish, and thus they imitate the zeitgeist, the spirit of this age, where you will recall John the Apostle says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want to close by sharing a few thoughts with you, and I I pray that the Holy Spirit would apply these thoughts to your heart because each of us are in different places. Each of us need a different challenge. And I want to conclude by saying this. Uh, Some of you here this morning have faithfully and consistently given of your tithes and offerings. And I want to say this to you. May you continue to receive the blessings of obedience. May you continue to enjoy the good favor of God as you stand obedient before our great God. While some of you have given faithfully and consistently and sacrificially, some of you give sporadically. Some of you give sporadically. And my challenge to you would be this, that you would begin to give faithfully. That you would say, Pastor, boom, you nailed it. My wife and I have been talking about this on and off again for weeks or months or years. And we have been giving sporadically. We take the challenge. We take the challenge and we will unfold the biblical case for tithing in the next few sermon series. But for now, I want to challenge you to think about your obligation before Almighty God to to give in a consistent and a faithful way. There's a third group of people. First, there are those who give faithfully. Kudos. God bless you. Secondly, some of you give sporadically. Challenge you. Number three, there is a group of you and there are groups, there, there are vast groups of people all over America that don't give anything at all. And that may come as a shock to some of you. But that is what the statistics tell us. And my encouragement to you would be this, that as we journey into the topic of financial stewardship, that you would not be tempted to get defensive, that you would not be uh, tempted to, to react in a negative way, but you would say, God, would you reveal to me how you want to shape my priorities and my finances so that I am in keeping with your word and may you make new commitments in the days ahead to be to be generous with the resources that God has graciously graciously given to you all for the glory of God. Here's one thing I can tell you is that if you commit yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ by exercising faithful stewardship in the area of finances in the way that the Word of God teaches, you will see several things take place. And I have seen this bore itself out, or bear itself rather, in testimony after testimony after testimony. Here are some things that will happen. First is, you will experience the blessing of obedience. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years, uh, a couple, for instance, a married couple, and they just weren't tithing 
And one day they may hear a message like this or read a book by uh, Randy Alcorn or Ron Blue or one of the, the financial guys in the Christian world, and they'll commit themselves to tithing, and they'll say something like this. It's almost like a carbon copy that I see. They'll say something like this. I never knew how much I would be blessed to give in the way that God has called me to give. Secondly, if you commit to biblical stewardship, you will be in step with the Holy Spirit. You will be in step with the Holy Spirit. Third, you will be, and this is a really exciting one, you will be a, a firsthand witness of the grace of God. You will be a firsthand witness of the grace of God. And finally, as you commit yourself to biblical stewardship in the area of finances, you will glorify God with your life. God is greatly glorified as his people honor him and obey him. One writer says it like this. He says, the ultimate goal of all spiritual leadership is that other people might come to glorify God. That is, they might feel and think and act in order to magnify the true character of God. And that's a snapshot of what happens when we commit ourselves to exercise in biblical stewardship. As I wrap this up, there is one gift that we dare not ignore. You remember that God sent the Lord Jesus Christ as the most precious gift that God could ever give. And you hear it from this pulpit week in and week out that Jesus came to die on the cross for sinners. Well, there's one gift that God entrusts to us. That is to say, God entrusts his son to sinners. And with the gift of his son come uh, 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 an important set of obligations. Because God has entrusted his son to humanity, we are obligated then as, as stewards, as sinners, to, to believe in Jesus, to repent of all our sin, to bank all our hope exclusively on the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he accomplished for us on Calvary's cross. And so it may sound strange to your ears this morning to hear a message on financial stewardship and conclude with the gospel. But you see, at the heart of biblical stewardship is the gospel. It is the gospel that drives biblical stewardship. It's the gospel that drives everything we say and everything we do. And so my challenge on a, on a grandiose scale this morning is, have you received this gift? Have you received the gift of salvation that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone? I hope you hear on a regular basis that salvation is not something you can purchase. It's not something you can earn. There's not a, a form you can fill out. Salvation is free. The Lord Jesus Christ gave of himself. He carried the weight of of our sin, the sin of everyone who would ever believe. If you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Are you a good steward of the gifts that God has given you? May that resonate in your heart. May it challenge your mind. And as we come back next week, and I, I urge you to come back and bring some friends as we talk more about biblical stewardship. And when we come to the end of the series, my heart and my prayer is that we would rally together as a church family and say, yes, this is what we are committed to. 
Because this is an important part of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I know that I have been uh, negligent in proclaiming uh, your truth in this area, that I have uh, feared talking about it, uh, worried about uh, negative reaction. And I thank you for um, reaffirming this truth in my heart and my mind. I pray that you would do the same for these dear people. God, I pray that they hear this morning uh, the heart of one who has their best interests in mind. And I pray that the the challenge would lead to action. I pray that the action steps would follow and that we would see many uh, uh, couples and single people and boys and girls commit themselves to exercising (coughs) biblical stewardship. And we do it for your honor. We do it for your glory. And I pray that you would help us as we will learn next week to have a a, a kingdom-centered priority. God, I pray that we would see the purposes behind exercising biblical stewardship and that you would excite this congregation, that we would not come dragging our feet, but we would come with arms wide open, ready to obey you, ready to receive the blessings that you will shower upon this church family. I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the direction we're going. God, I pray that you would bless this, your church here in Everson. All for your, the great name's sake of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.